Welcome in to a Thursday edition of the Back and Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Dat Matt. Joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. And got more NBA basketball. And also, we've got uh, an MLB story in the mix today. Baseball. Uh, we're we're uh, mixing it up a little bit. been a long time since. I don't, I don't probably count on my, uh, my fingers how many times we've actually talked about the MLB. Yeah. I don't think the MLB gets enough love on on back and forth. They don't. But I mean, hey, maybe the, maybe they'll start getting some more love this yeah. uh the summer for sure. Uh but again, you can follow the show on Twitter at @backforthpod, uh Instagram at @backforthpodcast. Make sure you guys are subscribed and download and to, subscribed to the podcast via whatever audio platform of your choosing, that being Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole works. Um you know, make sure you hit that subscribe button and so you can always get the freshest episode of the Back and Forth podcast downloaded straight to your device. And let's get it started right away. We've got a pretty big game that went down, a game that we talked about on the last episode, the Nets and the Celtics, kind of previewed it a little bit. And we're here to say that the Celtics are up two games to nothing now on the Brooklyn Nets as the series series does shift to Brooklyn. Um, I, I, people, people are not giving the Celtics defense enough credit. I think, uh, you look at the way Katie's been playing and, um, you know, people are giving Kevin Durant a lot of crap because saying he's playing bad or he's out of it, but they're not giving Jason Tatum uh, enough credit. And I have the exact stat right here. Jason Tatum, when guarded by Kevin Durant, uh, this series, Kevin Durant has eight points. He's shooting 2 of 13, 15%. He has 0 from 3 from the three-point line, has 0 assist, and 7 turnovers. Um, so I don't I don't think Jason Tatum, out of all people, is getting enough credit for how well he's been playing defensively against Kevin Durant, how well Grant Williams has been playing on Kevin Durant. And even when Marcus Smart uh, occasionally gets switched on him, uh, how Marcus Smart is standing his ground. The Celtics' defense, I think, has been great this series. Um as long as they're not guarding Gordon Dragic. When Dragic gets the ball, this guy looks like a prime John Stockton slash <laughs> Steph Curry hybrid. So I don't know what's going on there. But that usually happens. These random old role players will go off against Boston. A few years ago, it was Ish Smith who was with the Wizards. And I think that season, Ish Smith averaged like 29 against Boston, which Ish Smith is a fine player. But 29 points per game, no. He's, he's an 11 off the bench kind of guy, but he just went – he played absurd against Boston, so the 2022 version of Ish Smith now is uh, Goran Dragic. But, um, yeah, Boston's playing great defensively, and that's ultimately what's going to win in this series. And I think people are really forgetting that Boston is without one of their best defenders in Robert Williams. Um, and Robert Williams does so much other things for the Celtics and is a huge part and a huge reason why the Celtics were able to have that midseason turnaround and why they've been playing so good of late. And they're up 2-0 right now without him. Granted, those two games were at TD Garden, and that's kind of like the sixth man for the Celtics. That is a very tough place to play in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how they play in Brooklyn. But um, the Nets are also not a very good home team. I think they have a losing record at home this season. And um, we'll, we'll see how the Celtics fare out over there. But uh, once once Robert Williams comes back, uh, that would just be a huge game changer for Boston because it's very different from Philly adding Ben, ben Simmons into the rotation because Ben Simmons is yet – Ben Simmons hasn't played in a year. Ben Simmons has not touched, played basketball in a year. So if anyone 
thinks, because I've heard this argument several times, Ben Simmons is a great defender, yes. Is he a good passer? Yes. Can you score the ball? No. Does he make stupid decisions a lot of times? Yes. Is that why Philly traded him? Correct. Is that why 76er fans hate him? Yes. Um, there's a reason why he was traded. There's a reason why all that went down, and there's a reason why Joel Embiid was like, just get rid of this guy at this point. There's a reason for all that. Again, he has not played in a year. So if you think Ben Simmons is going to be thrown into a game against the number two, he's not playing an eight seed here. He's not playing the Hawks. If he's playing the Hawks, the Hawks did end the season last season. But if he was playing the Hawks, maybe a little bit of a different story. If he was playing uh, the Cavs or whatever, maybe a different story. But he's going to be playing the two-seed Celtics, who are one of the best teams defensively and also one of the quickest teams and one of the best offenses in the league. If you think Ben Simmons is going to come in and play with a group of guys he has not played a single game with before, and on top of that, has not played in a year, and he's going to go in and make an impact, you're nuts. If anything, and if Brooklyn was smart, they're going to wait until next season to unleash Ben Simmons because putting him in at any moment during this year is going to screw things up. And I'm not trying to say Ben Simmons is not going to work out in Brooklyn because we have not seen that play out yet. Um, And it could work out for them. It could not. We'll see. But they need to wait until next season. I know he's been practicing and whatnot, but let him go through training camp with them when he's fully healthy. Let him go through the preseason with them and let him, you know, you can afford to lose some the first 10, 20, or not all of them, obviously, but you can lose to drop some games in the first 10, 20, 30 games of the season. Look at Boston, for example. They started 18 and 21, and they finished the second seed. So you can afford to drop some games there, let him get comfortable, and then once he's comfortable, obviously you've got him and you've got your your, your secret weapon. But putting him into the lineup now is not going to work. And I kind of hope they do because Celtics in four at that point. But... Um, yeah, it's not going to be what what Brooklyn fans and what Ben Simmons fans think it's going to be when Ben Simmons gets unleashed. And when Robert Williams comes back, it's different because Williams will be healthy and Williams has played for four seasons with the Celtics. Four seasons with the Celtics team. Marcus Smart's been on that team for four seasons. Jason Tatum's been on that team for four. Going on and on. Um, so he already has chemistry. You're just adding Robert Williams back into the lineup versus Ben Simmons. You're putting him on a completely new team. He hasn't played in a year versus three weeks. Um, and he's got to get adjusted to – granted, he's practicing, but practices and a 48-minute NBA playoff pace game are two completely different things. And if he does play, he will be on a minutes restriction, he'll be out of gas, and he will get embarrassed out there, and he will look very lost. And if you thought his confidence was bad last season, this will only hurt his confidence confidence more if he plays in this playoff series or if the Nets advance and he plays in the Bucks playoff series or he plays in the Eastern Finals. He is not ready to play any basketball right now. If the Nets were smart, you wait till next season. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's much that can change not change the momentum of this series. I think the Celtics should be able to pull this out in in five, maybe even four games. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Exactly. <laughs> Just um, jinx them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously good that they got game two. I thought that Brooklyn might take game two and it being more of a zigzag type of the- uh, type of series. And now that Boston's gotten game two, it's a 2-0 lead. I have a hard time seeing Brooklyn dropping both games at home. I could see them splitting the, the home games, though, and maybe they get game three and Boston comes back with game four which for Boston probably works out great because then they go back home for game five in a closeout situation. Um, you don't, I, I think if you're 
Boston, you'd almost want to lose game three to win game four and then win game five. I, I'm not sure you want to win game three, then lose game four, uh, because then it's it's tougher, I think, in game five having to respond back. But I don't know, that's just me. But in all case, in all seriousness and all um in all uh in any case I should say that Boston is in a good spot right now. And Brooklyn I think is starting to maybe realize that not all of this star power is coming to fruition as they thought. Um, you know, we, we saw Brooklyn last year. They were actually pretty good with just Kevin Durant in the lineup. And now that you've added Kyrie. Probably should have won that series. I mean, it was just Kevin Durant's big foot that, yeah. that screwed it up. Yeah. And, I mean, now you've added Kyrie Irving, and it's proven to be a little turbulent, I think. You know, Brooklyn now, first off, they're a seven seed. Like, we're not talking usually talking about Brooklyn being a seven seed. Um, Brooklyn had to play their way into the playoffs. Um, you know, a team that has now been, you know, technically Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, you would never think in a million years, would have to play themselves into the playoffs. But I think it feeds into the theory that, you know, you can only have so much star power, but only one basketball to go around. And the Celtics have been able to, I think, balance out the star power that they have, whereas Brooklyn, I think, is still trying to find find that balance in star power. You know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, yes, there was rumors earlier in the year that maybe they're not getting along, but uh, whatever the case may be, it does seem like, you know, they're able to co- coexist with each other and coincide, and um, they're, they're able to make it work. Um, and if anything, it's probably made their chemistry a little bit better. So, um, I, I mean, I think... Boston right now has a good balance in that star power, and a lot of the teams up there that you know are playing well, um, you know, have a good balance in star power. You know, you look at the Suns with uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker; they've been able to find that balance. And you, you look at um, even some of the better teams that don't have a great duo. You know, they have the teams up there such as Memphis, who just has John Moran as a star player. Um, I, I I guess you could throw Miami in there. Uh, Jimmy Butler for sure being a star power. Um, I mean, and I think star power, but then you have some really above average role guys that um, are kind of teetering on the brink of being a star. Um, that's kind of how Miami is, I guess, put together. But when you look at the series, particularly with Boston and um, Brooklyn, you, you see that one team has it figured out and the other is still tr- – even still, with this late into the season, still trying to figure figure it out. Essentially, I think the pos- and right now we're only two games in, so I, I hate I would hate to come back next week and it's a two two series and we're we have to take back everything we said. So I'm going to say everything I'm saying with caution. But I think Brooklyn's biggest issue right now is Boston is looking onto the next round and they're just they are hungry for a championship and they're ready to just keep advancing and they're just focused on beating Brooklyn. Brooklyn is more focused on this, like, revenge, Kyrie shutting down Celtic fans, kind of. Like, they're more focused on, like, because that's kind of how it looked last night. They came out and they played hot, Brooklyn, because they were mad about the buzzer beater, and they played hungry, and Boston went on a run. It was just kind of like, okay, we're done now. It's like they they can't play a complete 48 minutes. And it was the same thing with on Sunday. Boston started off hot. And was pulling away, and then Brooklyn started playing better a little bit late in the game, and then Boston goes on a four-row uh, run to close out the game. 
So like Brooklyn have like will have these these little runs where they look dangerous and they look like the best team in the NBA, and then they and then they just take their foot off the gas pedal. So I think that's their biggest issue right now. Um, so we'll see we'll see next week when how we're talking about the Celtics in that series. Maybe it's completely over by then, uh, which I would hope so. But um, one series that is almost pretty much over because uh, no one has ever came back from a three zero deficit is the 76ers and Raptors. Joel Embiid, funny how things work out. Just three years ago, Kawhi Leonard hits a buzzer beater, sends Joel Embiid into the locker room, and that's where the Joel Embiid crying meme came from. And um, last night, he uh, hits a buzzer beater in that same arena in Game 3 and doesn't officially end the series, but it is just about over because, again, no one in the long history of the NBA has ever came back from a 3-0 deficit, so um, it's just about over. And, uh, you know, he was walking out with Drake, and he told Drake he's going to sweep his team. So Philly gets the job done, and uh, the Bulls, I'll go back on my word, I said that the Bucks were probably going to sweep them. The Bulls, after playing a tough game one, forced, there's going to be a game five now in May Arena, and there was a lot of red in there. Uh, and now they're going back to Chicago with a, a tied-up series. So And Chris Middleton now is going to be out three to four weeks. So um, quickly, Matt, what do you think? Uh, do you think that, for one, the Sixers series is, Sixer series is pretty much over, and you think that Philly's dangerous enough to make a real run and knock off Miami in the next round? And how concerned should you be if you're a Bucks fan or just the Bucks in general? I think when you look at Philly, yeah, the this, this series is basically over. If yeah. it's not over in four, it's going to be over in five, um, especially with game five being back in Philly. It's a closeout spot. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine this going any past five, um, but a sweep I think is very possible, um, especially after reeling off the first three. Like that starts putting a seed of doubt in the opponent's mind that they can't beat Philly. Um, you know, that, that could be something to overcome in game four and could lead to a sweep. Um, as far as could they knock off Miami in the next round, I don't know. I, I think that's a good series. I think it's a really strong, good series. It's at least six games, but I could easily see that going to seven. The thing about Miami is they're always a really good playoff team. Like we saw this in the bubble even, and you know, say what you want about the bubble, but Miami, they proved their worth at least in the bubble, and they were able to take the Lakers to six games who ended up winning the championship in the bubble um, you've got guys like Bam Adebayo, who I think could match up really well with Joel Embiid. You've got, obviously, a superstar in, Joel, in Jimmy Butler. And I, I think I like the defense for Miami better. I think they could do a better job of slowing down Philly. So, I mean, right now I'd probably say Miami could get past Philly, but it's a good series that, that goes to at least the six games, maybe even seven. Um, when it comes to the Bucks and the Bulls, I don't know if the Bucks should be necessarily too concerned. Um, the only thing that might be a little concerning is the way that they played. They they kind of have played a little bit down to the Bulls in a sense, where they haven't played their best game. They haven't played their best or put out their best effort, if you will. Um, but I I think the the Bucks will be just fine. I think they can get the they can get a, a series win nonetheless. Probably in five games, I'd imagine, maybe six. But um, I'll I'll say the Bucks. Or will at least win the series against the Bulls and maybe a loss here. Um, Excuse Siri there. Siri's a big Bulls fan. She didn't. Yeah. She didn't like the Bucks take. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my phone was literally just. I wasn't even on my phone. My phone was literally just sitting here, and she 
goes off there. So <laughs> uh, clearly, I think Matt's right. Yeah, uh, but you know, I think the Bucks, like I said, nonetheless, they're going to get a series win. Like I, I can't see the Bulls winning three more games against the Bucks. Um, I just think Milwaukee is too talented to let that happen. So I'll give the Bucks a series win. Bulls might push it to six games, but I could see a Bucks in five, like them just going off and winning the next three. Yeah. Um, I agree with the Sixers. I think the Sixers series is pretty much over. I don't think there's much more I need to elaborate on that. Um, in terms of Miami, Miami is a much tougher team defensively, and they're not going to have – Philly is not going to have home court in that series as well. Um, so obviously playing a five-seed going to play a one-seed are two different ball games, and it'll be interesting to see how Jimmy Butler and those guys kind of – I don't think you can really – Bam can play good defense on Joel Embiid, but I think Joel Embiid's at the point of his career where he's unstoppable. James Harden I cannot say the same for. I think ever since the NBA got rid of that uh, that contact uh, that contact draw foul that James Harden was famous for, he would do that little through the leg, step back, he'd pump fake, he'd get the guy to lean into him, and he would draw a foul and get three shots. That's how James Harden scored most of his points. Um, I think since that rule has been removed – you've seen a James Harden that you can contain a little bit. And I think uh, the the Heat are going to be able to do that just fine. Um, so that that would be a much tougher series for them versus than the Raptors. The Raptors kind of were borderline mediocre all season. They went on a run towards the end of the year. Um, and still a fairly good team, but nothing less. I think they have a long way to go. Not a long way to go, but they still have a way to go, I guess, in their rebuilding process. Um, they are still a young team, so I think they've they've done an incredible job for not having like a real superstar on their team. Uh, but yeah, Miami is going to be a much tougher matchup than than um, Toronto is going to be for them, and that could be a six or seven game series that I anticipate Miami will win. But the way Philly has been playing, I mean, they could they they could pull off the upset and get to the Eastern Finals, which is something they have not done. Uh, in quite a while, I believe, because the furthest they've made it in the recent years is the second round, and they get bounced. Uh, looking at the Bucks now, yeah, I think they should be concerned. You're now tied up, and you're going to go to the United Center, um, and the Bulls fans are, have been anxious for a playoff run for a long time, and that is going to be a tough place to play. Chicago fans are one of the most passionate sports fans in um, the entire country, and this Bulls team seems to be playing a lot better, especially on the defensive end of the ball and you're going to be missing your best shooter in Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton has the ability to get really hot, and he's not the most athletic guy on the court, but he'll drop 30, 35 points on you. And uh, in most cases, that's just enough And because Giannis is just so dominant, and then you have Chris Middleton going off for 30 or 35, and it's at that point where the Bucks are just so far ahead and um, kind of talking like how I was talking about Ben Simmons earlier and how Brooklyn hopes that Ben Simmons will be the secret weapon for them. That's kind of what Chris Middleton is for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the way he's able to get going, and a lot of people give him crap for being an All Star, but he's more, more than deserving of that that title being an All Star the last few years. So um, that's definitely concerning. You're going to be without your second best player, and now you're going to be on the road for two games in a tied up series. Um, they are not in a good position right now. They, they could very well, and they still are capable of winning the series, but um, in terms of being in a good posi- good position, they are not. So they should be. In summary, they should be very concerned. Definitely going to be interesting to watch those series over the weekend um, <clears throat> as we'll have a lot to talk about on the playoff series on Monday's show. But before we get out of here, uh, a, a trend I guess we've noticed with the Oakland Athletics and not for the better of the organization as now for the second straight day, on uh, this goes back 
to uh, Tuesday and Wednesday's game, both were under 5,000 people in attendance at the Oakland Athletics game. I believe Tuesday's was 3,700. 3, 3,700. And then uh, Wednesday's game was 2,600. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, that's not a, like a misprint. That's not like, oh, you meant like 36,000. No, like 3,700 people, 3,700, 2,700, 2,700 people um, were at the Oakland Athletics game. To put that all into perspective, the Aviators have been averaging over 5,000 fans per game so far this season. <laughs> Opening night, they had 17K. Yeah, which was not opening night their first home game. They had 17k, which is half of their capacity, and now 3k and 2k since then. Yeah. So Oakland, if you want to keep your team, you're gonna have to show up. Um, yeah. So I mean, Vegas, I guess is a is a gross desert, but I can't remember a time even UNLV has drawn 2k fans. So um, at the Thomas and Mac, I mean, I guess we've gotten close, but. It, a failing college basketball program is averaging more than um professional baseball team that's not doing terrible. They're what, like seven and six? Yeah, somewhere around there. Eight and six, seven yeah. and seven, somewhere around there right now. So you know, the doors the doors always open to, to come to Vegas. Athletics. We we would really love a MLB team here. But yeah, when 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 your triple A affiliate is averaging more than you in a smaller stadium. That's pretty embarrassing. And their stadium is quite frankly nicer as well. So, um, yeah, if you're Oakland at this point, I think the writing is kind of on the wall that um, you're not getting a new stadium out of there right now. You're playing in an absolute dump in the Coliseum that has had multiple instances where sewage is leaking and nobody's even showing up to your game. So I think you're at the point where you have to move. Because, like, even in a free agency perspective of things, like, you look at your facilities play a big part in everything in college and in professional. And you're trying to attract a free agent or someone to come to Oakland for one, it's Oakland. So you're already screwed there Two, you're playing in the, um, the Coliseum. So that's already um, an X there. Like, and there's no fan support. Who right. would want to come there? Right. Who's going to want to come play for the athletics? Cause like put an NBA perspective, like your arena's empty. It's a dump. It's falling apart. And you're playing in Beaver, Utah. Like, like no one's gonna want to come play uh, for the Beaver Beavers or whatever. Like, no, no one's gonna want to go there. And it's kind of the same for the uh, Beavers. Quite frankly, nicer than Oakland. So that's kind of I shouldn't compare Beaver to Oakland. That's kind of an insult to Beaver. So, <laughs> any listeners in Beaver, Utah, I'm sorry, but um, Oakland, Utah, <laughs> uh, Oakland, California. Um, yeah, no one wants to go there. Um, there's no facilities there, and there's there's no fan support, so it's not an attractive place. You move to Vegas, you get a stadium, you get the fan support, um, and it becomes a whole lot more of an attractive place to play. Let's look at the Raiders, for example. Devontae Adams. Do you think Devontae Adams would be on the Raiders right now if they're still in Oakland? Probably not. No, he would not. I'll tell you that straight up right now. He will not be on the Oakland Raiders. Um, what about Chandler Jones? Probably not. No. So... Um, I get it. Devontae Adams grew up a Raiders fan. He was from that area. But don't don't look at me with a straight face and tell me he was going to leave Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay to go to the Oakland Raiders. No, he was going to leave 
Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay to come to the Las Vegas Raiders. So, um, yeah, I think they can look at the Raiders and say, wow, look how much the Raiders have only been here two years. They have not had a losing season. They've made the playoffs, um, which has been um, something they haven't accomplished a whole lot, especially in the, the 2000s. Uh, so, or in the 21st century, I should say. And, um, yeah, I, I think all I have to do is look at the Raiders and see how much they've succeeded since they've came here. And they've got everything they've wanted. They've got a brand new stadium. They've got a f- billion dollar, beautiful facility. And now they're attracting, um, top level free agents and they have, they're averaging more fans and since their LA days back at the, uh, the Coliseum in Los, the much nicer Coliseum in Los Angeles. So. Um, I think that's what you have to look at. And even if you don't want to come to Vegas, like Portland was their other option or Salt Lake City or something like that, like you even have to start looking at those options because you're not going to get your dream ballpark in Oakland. The fan support's gone. You're playing in a dump. Like, just get out of there. I mean, Portland's not that much nicer, but it's it's a little nicer. Yeah. I mean, there's not much you could say right now about the athletics other than it's it's embarrassing. Like, that's that is just – you you look at numbers like that and you just look at yourself and you go, that's embarrassing. Like the fact that one, you would even want to report those types of numbers to begin with. Like, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a requirement from MLB that you must report game attendance, but like if it wasn't, I wouldn't be telling anybody what the attendance was. People still think they're fake. Cause you look at the crowd and it's like, there's 800 people here. That's literally what it looks like. And yeah. maybe it's just cause the stadium's so big and everyone's so spread out. That's probably why. But it looks like even 2,000 or 3,000 might be pushing it. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, I think I, – because there's, there's been the excuse that, like, oh, well, the fans are doing this to get a new stadium or whatnot or, you know, they're boycotting so that they don't have to go to the Coliseum and they'll get a new stadium. Like, that, none of that's going to happen in Oakland. Like, if the A's are going to get a new stadium. It's probably going to be in a different city. I would imagine probably Las Vegas, but who knows? Maybe they might go somewhere else. Um, and quite frankly, if they come to Las Vegas, I don't think they're going to have a very hard time getting people to show up to games. I mean, again, this is – you look at it this way, their AAA affiliate you know, gets five, six, sometimes 7,000 people for a game in a 10,000-seat arena or 10,000-seat ballpark i should say in Summerlin. so i mean for a lot of people that's kind of a drive to their stadium like i know for for joey and myself it's a good 20 25 minute drive out to the las vegas ballpark but nonetheless you know it, it goes to show that if you're decent enough and you have a decent enough facility to play at you know people in vegas are going to go drive to it and they're going to check it out and they're going to come and support and so a lot can be said about that like you know you could if you wanted to come to Vegas, if you're the athletics, you should kind of keep that in the back of your mind that like picking a spot for the stadium. Well, yes, it's important. I don't know if it's too important because again, as long as, you know, you play halfway decent, like people in Vegas aren't going to care how far they have to drive to go to a game. Like they're, they'll be fine with it. You know, if, if, if it was a problem to where people couldn't drive to a game or didn't want to drive to a game, like, you would basically just see people from Summerlin going to the aviators camp. Like you wouldn't see people, you know, from the other side of town making the hall two or three times a week to go to an aviators game. And it even proves to the point if you build nicer facilities, people will come because the they used to be the fifty ones and they played in downtown Las Vegas at Cashman Field. Ground Zero, also known as Cashman Field. Yeah, it might as well be Ground Zero. Yeah. Right? And um <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and a lot of no one showed up to those games except for one dollar beer night. That's the only time people were willing to risk their lives was for one dollar beer night. And then see. they all left at like the fifth inning when yeah, the... <laughs> pretty much. But they build a nicer facility all the way, which is pretty much going to be on the other side of town unless you live in Summerlin. And they're averaging like seven thousand fans a game right now in a ten thousand seat ballpark. Yeah. So even if the A's, like you look at the A's, like if you're going to want to stay in Oakland, you have to build that. You have to build that ballpark, and they clearly are not going to do that for you. So. Um, you got to build it somewhere else. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I think, I don't think they will be in Oakland within the next five years. It, it might come down to within the next two years. Um, cause I think if this keeps going, there's going to be some drastic measure taken by somebody, whether it's the A's, whether it's MLB, somebody's going to eventually step in and go, this is ridiculous. Like, well, also like before we wrap up here, if they, there's, there's not a MLB level ballpark. Uh, Las Vegas ballpark is nice, but that is not. That's only ten thousand seats. Right. There's not an MLB level ballpark in Las Vegas. Right. So I don't think they can do the same thing the Raiders did. Because no, but the Raider fan, Raider fans are very passionate, and they were going to show up and support that team. The A's. There's rumors of them relocating in there. No one is showing up. I do not think they can stay in Oakland for two, three years and wait till the ballpark's done. No, I, I think what the A's could honestly do is, well, first they have to find out if they want to move to Vegas because they're going to have to make that decision fairly soon because, as you mentioned, they're, we're going to need time to build the, the ballpark because inevitably you're just going to have to build them their own, probably, probably a, it's going to be more like an arena because if you're going to be playing Vegas, baseball in Vegas, we probably have to have a dome. Um Similar to like what they have in Tampa or Toronto, where I think it's like a full dome. So, but in any case, it's going to take probably two or three years to build. So you have to figure that out sooner rather than later. If you do want to come to Vegas, where you want the stadium to be built, and find a city that does have a MLB level ballpark that either isn't being used, or you can share a facility with a team. Um, like clearly for this season, they they can't do anything. They're going to have to play out the rest of the year in Oakland. But maybe you contract with somebody like. A uh, you could go down the uh, coastline to maybe like Anaheim and see if you you can contract with them and play, um, you know, lease out the stadium there or you know find somewhere where you can at least play temporarily before you move to Vegas when the arena is finally ready to go. If only uh, Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego was still there and didn't get blown up because I used to be. They used to be a baseball and football stadium. They could have, yeah, they could have played. Well, I mean, that's the tough part about the MLB stadiums. Is a lot of the old ones are all blown up and yeah. imploded. Yeah, um, like they could have. If old Yankee Stadium was still up, they could have played in there for a while. Um, there's a whole lot, but I mean, you, you ideally want to go somewhere close. So maybe they eyeball like leasing out a stadium from um, one of the LA teams. Maybe you go across the bridge to the Giants and see if you can borrow their facility um, for the games that they're not there and, you know, work it out that way. But um, wherever they go, at least temporarily, they know that it's only going to be like a one or two season type of deal before they would move to their permanent city with a new permanent ballpark. Uh, But I agree. They can't spend much more time in Oakland, especially when you're pulling 3,000 people for a game. Like that's, that's just embarrassing. Yeah. So we will see. We will definitely see. We appreciate you guys tuning into this episode of the Back and Forth Podcast. We'll have plenty to go over from the weekend. Uh, we'll have 
All that coming up on Monday's episode of Back and Forth that can be heard on the Rebel HD2. The best way to find the Rebel HD2 is downloading the Rebel HD2 app. The show will air Monday, 6 to 7 p.m. on the Rebel HD2 with myself and Joey G. Until then, enjoy the rest of the day. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you guys on Monday.